Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 194 of Yogaland. Today's episode is back to our traditional format. It's longer form, and my guest is Carol Krukoff. I know Carol from editing her at Yoga Journal. She was a writer who wrote several stories for me. She is also one of the founding editors of the Washington Post's health column. So she's a longtime award-winning journalist, and she's also a yoga teacher. Carol specializes in teaching yoga for seniors. She has a book called Relax into Yoga for Seniors, a six-week program for strength, balance, flexibility, and pain relief. And she is currently teaching Yoga for Seniors classes at Duke University. She's also the director of the Integrative Yoga for Seniors teacher training. And you can find out more at the website yoga, the number four, seniors.com. Carol and I did this interview before the shelter in place started for anyone. I was actually ahead on my interviews for once. And so since Shelter in Place happened, I emailed Carol to say, do you know of any great online resources right now for seniors who will listen to this interview and might be interested in doing yoga? And she said, in fact, I do. She is teaching Yoga for Seniors online right now through Duke's platform. So I'm going to post that link in the show notes. Please go check it out. I'm going to pass it on to my own mother because I just trust Carol so implicitly and her knowledge and her ability to conduct a safe and effective yoga class for this age group. So you can go to the show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 194 to find a link and other resources related to yoga for seniors. I just want to throw a couple of statistics out there for you in case you think like, well, this isn't really an interview that I need to listen to. I just found it so fascinating to both read her book and talk to her. And what I think I was not aware of, I mean, I sort of, I guess it was sort of somewhere in my consciousness because you hear it, but I just didn't know that seniors 65 and older are the fastest growing sector in the U.S. And that super seniors, that's 85 and older, the number of people who will reach that age group has quadrupled since 1940. And, you know, seniors and super seniors often come to class with with health conditions, health conditions like heart and circulatory problems, like arthritis, like osteoporosis, like chronic pain, lung disease, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, cancer. So it's just feasible that many of us will have a senior come to our yoga class at some point and that it would be worthwhile to understand what they might be coping with and how to best conduct the class. Carol's really inspiring. She loves teaching this age group. She's just about, I think she said her age in the interview and she's just about to turn 66. She looks like she's about 26. So She's actually a senior herself, but she's been teaching this age group for about two decades. So she's incredibly knowledgeable and a lot of fun to talk to. So enjoy the interview with Carol. Well, Carol, thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Andrea. I'm delighted. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about you, we worked together when I was at Yoga Journal, is... I think there are very few people who have such a rigorous journalism background as you do, who are also deeply entrenched in the yoga world. So you were a writer and a reporter at the Washington Post for at least a decade, right? 
Yes, I was actually the founding editor of the health section. We started the health section in 1985, and I was the first editor. So I really focused on health journalism. That was my specialty. And then for 10 years after I left the post, we moved to North Carolina from Washington. My husband's a cardiologist and got a great job at Duke. When we moved, I continued my association with the post by writing a column for them called Body Works, syndicated column that looked at the the emerging science. At that time, it was really the emerging science of how important physical activity is for health. I really have all that background. Then I continued writing for a variety of magazines, including Yoga Journal. But my main interest was movement as medicine. Mm. And I, I, I also appreciate your background because it really informs your approach to the yoga that you teach. And today we're talking about your most recent book, which is Relax Into Yoga for Seniors, which you've written with Kimberly Carson. And early on in the book, you talk about how it's an integrative approach. I want you to be able to talk about that in your own words. What does that mean to you? Sure. Sure. Well, integrative medicine is becoming a much more appreciated term in the United States. So for Integrative medicine, what it looks at is the whole person, as opposed to just focusing on a disease or a condition. Integrative medicine looks at the person who has the illness. So we use the best of allopathic medicine, so traditional Western medicine. We might use medications or whatever is appropriate for that person. And we also use the best complementary medicines, particularly complementary medicines that are Mm evidence-based. The evidence base for yoga is increasing exponentially. So that's been a really exciting part of my journey to be involved in bringing yoga into Western medicine. So I'm fortunate enough that at Duke, we have an integrative medicine center at opened in 2007. So it's been around for more than a decade. And I've been their yoga teacher, yoga therapist since that time. So the physicians there will refer me appropriate patients. We have massage therapists, acupuncturists, integrative nutritionists. So it's looking at the whole person and their whole well-being. So that's an integrative approach. And of course, yoga itself is an integrative, holistic discipline. Yoga recognizes that every physical ailment also has an emotional, Mm. mental, spiritual component. And everything in our lives, including our behaviors, our thoughts, our emotions, our relationships, are all connected to our health. So it's a it's a perfect marriage, in my opinion, yoga and Western medicine. And that's actually going to be the topic. I've been asked to be one of the keynote presenters at the International Association of Yoga Therapy. They're meeting this June, and they've asked me to speak on why modern medicine needs yogic wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Putting mm-hmm. that together. You know, we have a similar center out here in San Francisco, the Osher Center, which is a part of UCSF. And it is incredibly helpful. And I think when you're going through an illness, and you go to one of these centers, you feel 
sort of reassured and comforted that the people there have the training they need to have to be working with your condition, which is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a very patient-centered approach, looking at what the patient's needs are and their needs on varied levels. Sometimes people use the term alternative medicine, and I discourage that Mm -hmm. because that term tradi- is is thought to mean instead of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I find within the yoga community quite a significant portion of folks who are very anti-Western medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, the idea that I'm not going to do whatever the Western medicine says and instead I'm going to do some alternative technique that may not have any evidence base that is not the same as integrative medicine. You right. know, somebody who decides not to do chemo, but to go somewhere and, and have avocado pits or something, whatever the alternative medicine to sure. It is not that. It is integrative approach. Takes the best of Eastern, Western, whatever medical Ayurvedic, traditional Chinese medicine that has some kind of evidence base. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've been teaching at this Duke Center, for the, the center there for integrative medicine. You've been teaching yoga for seniors there since 2007. Is that correct? Well, Kimberly and I started the Integrative Yoga for Seniors professional training there in 2007. So Mm -hmm. I've been offering classes myself, offer gentle yoga, which is mostly people over 50, but it's not limited to age. Both Kimberly and I were in a situation in the early 2000s where we were working with people who were compromised, who had a lot of health compromises. And we, neither of us felt like we had the training we needed to appropriately teach someone who had osteoporosis Mm -hmm. or had just had a coronary artery bypass or who came in with supplemental oxygen. You know, in the early 2000s, that was, that just didn't exist. Mm -hmm. We decided to create our own training by, you know, talking with my husband, Mitch, I said, you know, I just had somebody in my class who's out of cardiac rehab, but he's recently had a bypass. Is there anything I need to, what do I need to do to keep him safe? Because safety is the priority. Ahimsa is the priority. We decided Kimberly was also having a similar situation and she'd teach a mixed class at Duke and she'd have somebody with stage four cancer in the same class as a young Duke undergrad. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, yeah. Talk about a mixed level class. Yeah, that is a, that is a most very challenging class to teach. And at the time there were a couple of yoga therapy programs in the country, just a handful. It was a very different climate than it is now. We really wanted to focus on the conditions that were, facing seniors, because the truth of it is, it's, they call it a silver tsunami, the epidemiologists, that the number of seniors 
is growing exponentially, expected to double by 2050. I was astounded by that. You put, you put the, I actually wrote the figures down here. So you say seniors 65 and older comprise the fastest growing sector of the U.S. population. The group is expected to more than double from 8% of Americans to 20%. And, and that's so from 8% of Americans to 20% of Americans. Isn't that amazing? And so age, the demographers call term seniors to start at 65, but 65 to 85 are seniors, 85 and up are sometimes called super seniors. I was wondering what that, that's so sweet. Super I like that. Seniors super seniors. This old and that group is increasing dramatically as well. The likelihood that someone age 65 will reach age 90 has quadrupled since 1940. So thanks to modern medicine, diseases that would have killed our grandparents, you know, heart disease, certain cancers, people are, they're now chronic illnesses. People are living with conditions. So if someone is out there teaching yoga, they are likely to have an 85-year-old or up Mm -hmm. come into class. So it's a very challenging landscape. So one of the things that I thought was, I think is so great about the book is that you do go into some of the common conditions that come up as people become seniors and it's, and, and how to cope with them. So I'm just going to read them off in a list for now, but heart and circulatory problems, arthritis, osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, joint replacement, lung disease, chronic pain, cancer. So when you look at a list like this, you think, yeah, you want to teach a yoga for seniors class. You really, you really need some very specialized training. So how long or how did you go about creating this curriculum and, and figuring all of this out and making it an evidence-based integrative program? Well, it's been a process. Yeah. Started in 2007 with that weekend workshop. You might consider it a feasibility pilot. We were looking at the most common conditions. And of course, heart disease is the number one killer in Western society. In fact, it's the number one killer in every continent but Africa, where unfortunately infectious disease and malnutrition is still taking many lives. Throughout the West, as our Western lifestyle has expanded, so has heart disease. So we figured, and I'm married to the cardiologist, so he was more than happy to come and talk about heart disease. And then the other condition that is very common, about a third of people over 65, according to uh, different racial and makeup groups, but uh, very common, but under silent disease, like heart disease is also a silent disease. People might have osteoporosis and not know they have it. Mm. You can do real harm. People can fracture vertebral bodies, and that can lead to early mortality. So we decided to start the weekend workshop. We had Kathy Ship, an amazing doctor of physical therapy from Duke. She just recently retired, but she was one of the authors of the U.S. Surgeon General's report on osteoporosis that came out in 2004. She talked about osteoporosis. Mitch came and talked about 
heart disease. And we opened up this weekend workshop and we thought, well, if we, if we build it, will they come? Mm -hmm. And we had room for 40 people. We filled up with a waiting list and people loved it. And they said, this isn't enough. A weekend workshop isn't enough. So we, over the next couple of years, we experimented with various models. We tried two five-day versions where people would come for a beginning and then come back. And what we have settled on and what has become our, we call it the master course at Duke, is a 50-hour training. It's eight days, six full days, two half days. And we cover the major, what we consider, you know, be nice to cover everything, but it is so intense. People are there from nine in the morning to 5.30 at night, uh, about two lectures a day from doctors. Uh, we have a specialist in Alzheimer's. Kimberly is really the expert on chronic pain at this point. Frank Keefe, who's on the staff of Duke also, is her mentor and gave that talk for many years. My husband, Mitch Krukoff, gives the talk on heart disease. We have arthritis. Rebecca Bird has been our speaker. We have a wonderful speaker on Parkinson's and neurological disorders. I hope I didn't leave anybody out. I feel like I might have, but the whole, everybody's bias on the website. So we have that as the 50 hour master training. And because it's so intense, and at this point, Kimberly now is in Portland. She moved from Durham to Oregon Health Sciences University. She and her husband are both on staff there. It's a big deal for us to get together. So we just do the master training once a year. And for many people, that's just too too much time and too much money, frankly, to do that training. So we have what we call an abridged training, which is a 24-hour training that we offer once a year at Kripalu. And we offer it also in other places as we are invited, as, as we can fit it into our schedule and we have created an online version. Oh, good. I was going to say, you've got to do some online learning. That would be really oh, helpful did. for people. Again, we get people from all over the world. We have had people from Australia, from South America, come to our training at Duke. But not everybody can do that, clearly. So we worked with a wonderful gentleman out of Portland, uh, Jim Gillen with Yoga.com. And he videoed and edited one of our abridged trainings. So that is available as an online option. And all of those are approved for CEUs, mm -hmm. the International Association of Yoga Therapists, and the Yoga Alliance. Okay, great. Yeah. And so sort of switching gears, but kind of related. If you have someone in your family, let's say, or perhaps someone listening who is a senior and wants to find a good teacher in a good class. What advice do you have? Like, what do you want to make sure your teacher knows <laughs> before you go into this class? Or yeah, what should you be looking for? Oh, that's such a good question. As yoga has gotten so mainstream, has become so popular, I am working privately with people who come in who's decided that they wanted to try a yoga class and they just went to the local gym or the local Y mm -hmm. and they got hurt. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. Well, one thing on our website on yogaforseniors.com, yoga, the number four, seniors.com, we do have a find a teacher page where you can click and put in your 
zip code and, and see if there's a teacher who's taken our program in your area. We've trained about a thousand teachers, but that's just a drop in the bucket for all the people out there. And there are a growing number, of course, of uh, yoga therapists, of people who are quite skilled in working with older adults. So I would certainly, first of all, ask the teacher about their training Mm -hmm. and their experience. What kind of training do they have? How long have they been teaching yoga? What kind of specialized training do they have in working with older adults or with people with health challenges? What is their personal practice like? How long have they been practicing yoga? I find that the best best yoga classes come out of someone's own personal practice. Very often going to a class that is labeled as yoga for seniors or gentle yoga is very helpful. Integrative medical centers, like I would imagine whoever is teaching at that Osher Center in Mm -hmm. San Francisco, there are integrative medicine centers around the country. They, I would hope, would vet their teachers in a way that would be as safe as possible. And I always encourage people to ask if they can just watch a class. Mm, That's a good idea. See what it's like. I, I often have people who want to just come and observe, and that is absolutely fine. Yeah, and I would imagine that you know you want to look for a teacher who you feel comfortable. If let's say you have a chronic condition like osteoporosis, whether you're observing class the first time or you know getting there a little bit early, you want to find a teacher who's open to you talking to them about what you're dealing with, right? And kind of either letting the teacher know that you might modify or asking them for to just kind of keep an eye on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And keep an eye on you if they really know what they're doing with osteoporosis, because that is one of the conditions that some very commonly taught poses in yoga can be very potentially harmful. For example, forward bends with straight legs are contraindicated for people with osteoporosis. So Uttanasana, you know, the cue that I've heard so many times in my yoga career, you know, lift the kneecaps, keep your legs straight, swan dive forward. Mm -hmm. Well, the truth of it is that's, that's not available to many people to do safely with a neutral spine. So I am now, I will be Uh, In a couple of weeks, I turned 66, and I have been practicing since my early 20s. So in my yoga career, my practice has changed a lot. And as I have learned from these Western medical experts what considerations to take, you know, when I was in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s, I used to be an Ashtanga yogi. I've probably done a gazillion sun salutations. Hmm. I have not done a sun salutation in the last 10 to 15 years. I stopped standing on my head about Mm. 15 years ago, severe neck arthritis. I remember the physical therapist, oh, do I have to give up headstand? And she kind of looked at me with this sweet face and she said, well, I don't want to take anything away from you. But I wouldn't advise you put the entire weight of your body on the vertebral columns of your neck with this kind of arthritis. Hmm. 
you know, yoga is about one of the components of yoga is non-attachment. Mm. And over the years, particularly the last 10 years, as I've dealt with some health challenges myself, I had open heart surgery in 2008. I was born with a bicuspid aortic valve, which is a very common congenital abnormality. And my valve became severely stenotic. It narrowed and it became life-threatening. So I had open heart surgery in 2008. And I now have a bovine valve, which is a cow valve. So when everybody else in the room does ohm, I usually like to moo to honor my (laughs) bovine valve. And um, I've got a little piece of uh, Gore-Tex in my aorta because the valve had created an aneurysm. So I had that repaired. So that was a big deal surgery. And I went through cardiac rehab. So it was a very humbling and very enlightening experience because there's so much I can do, but I don't do Kapala body breathing. I don't do any kind of breath holding. These are contraindicated for people with heart conditions. Mm. So a lot of yoga teachers do not recognize that. The one contraindication my cardiologist said is, you know, can I go back to my practice? Can I go back to my teaching? He just said, avoid the Valsalva maneuver, which is breath holding while straining. Well, that's something that is not uncommon when people do extreme breathing practices. Mm -hmm. Something that is important for older adults. And, you know, how many older adults have hypertension? More than half. And any kind of breath holding is going to affect your blood pressure. Mm. So my practice has changed. I do not do breath holding. I do not do extreme breathing practices. I do not do forward bends. You know, unfortunately, those seated forward bends are even put even more load on their spine. As I've gotten older, you know, like many yoga teachers, I'm a thin white woman. And as a thin white woman, I'm at higher risk of osteoporosis. And despite all the you know, good diet and exercise I've had all through my life, I have osteopenia. I have low bone density. I'm just on this side of osteoporosis. But it's not worth it to me mm-hmm. to do extreme twists or loaded forward bends. There's so much I can do. I still have a very vigorous practice, but I've eliminated something. So I'm trying to not be so attached to the form. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I said, why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. You know, you mentioned when you first heard that probably be wise to not do headstand anymore. How have you kind of grappled with and then made peace with some of the changes that come with our practice as we get older? (laughs) Well, the yoga practice has been so helpful in that because the yoga practice is about much more than asana. The yoga practice is grounded in the fundamentals of impermanence, that everything changes. So we see the changes on the outside. The hair gets gray. We might color it, but it's... (laughs) (laughs) The wrinkles are there. 
we might, you know, get plastic surgery, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can see the outer changes inside. We're also changing too. And the acceptance of change is part of the practice. So surrendering to what is, I mean, I remember practicing yoga in the ICU, waking up from my heart surgery, and it sure didn't look like a sun salutation. Mm -hmm. I was breathing, I was meditating, I was praying. So as I've gotten older, I still have an asana practice, a strong asana practice, but I've increased my meditation and I try to live my yoga more off the mat. Yoga isn't has become not just something that I do, that I roll out the mat and do yoga. I really try to live yoga. You know, if somebody is looks like they need that parking space more than me, well, fine. You know, may you be happy, healthy, peaceful, and safe. Take the parking space. I'll find another one. That's the yoga practice. I, I talk about this in my other book, Yoga Sparks, just the little daily things we can do, not just on the mat, but in our relationships, in our daily lives. That has helped me come to terms with, okay, so I'm not going to stand on my head anymore. Okay, been there, done that. I can do side plank and be perfectly happy doing you know, a, a side plank or a deep crescent lunge. I can stand on one leg and tree for two minutes. There are many things I can do. Yeah. Right in the beginning of the book, you say the only thing you need to be able to do to practice yoga is to breathe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that it's true. Like you said, when you're in a really, really challenging situation and you're not going to like pop into a handstand or a triangle pose, what are you going to, what yoga tools are you going to pull out of your toolkit? You're going to pull out the breath work that you do. Any breath work that you've done, you will remember in that moment <laughs> of challenge. Absolutely. I, I do feel that it's probably the single most important thing we teach is the connection to the breath and the ability to take a restorative, relaxing abdominal breath. That is so huge. Yeah. I One of the things I really like about your book is it's very practical. You know, you go through different weeks of sequences and the very first illustrated movement form that is in the book is a woman using a chair to get up off the floor because it gets harder and harder to get up and down off the floor as you get older. And it's important to be able to do that. What If you want to play with your grandkids, if you want to do any kind of stretching, you know, if you, if you happen to fall, you need to be able to get yourself back up. Um, but I think you also do such a nice job of talking about being a senior or a super senior. I love that. I'm going to use that. I mean, if you are 85, you have earned the title of super senior, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But you also just do such a nice job of talking about it as a stage of life that's, it's not like, it, even though things change and there might be things that you used to be able to do that are not wise for you to do anymore. It can still be a really beautiful, positive phase of life. And that yoga can help you kind of tap into that and realize that. So I wonder kind of how you incorporate that into your classes or in the way that you teach. And if you see 
if you've seen any changes in your students from when they started with you? Oh, absolutely. One of the many things I love about teaching older adults is that they have a very mature approach in that there's an openness to the benefits on all levels, the physical, the energetic, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual. You know, I don't find many new students coming to my gentle yoga class whose motivation is they want a yoga butt. Hmm, They want yoga abs. They want to feel better. They want to be able to sleep at night. They want to be able to play with their grandchildren. They want to stay independent. Because at Duke, it's, you know, I we teach people and I have taught in residential facilities, but in an independently living community, people want to stay independent. And that is a big motivator. Mm. So, and there's an appreciation for the experience of ease and union. And how I like to try to incorporate that in my class is to create a welcoming environment. Anybody who can get make their way into that room and is breathing, which <laughs> they need to be to make their way into that room, <laughs> is welcome. So in my classes, everybody gets a chair and everybody has a mat. And we do not do any floor sitting. Because the truth of it is, even if people are propped six ways to Sunday, most people in Western culture cannot sit with a neutral spine, which is the safe spinal alignment for people with compromised bone. Most people in Western culture cannot sit with good alignment on the floor. And most people in our culture spend most of their days sitting in chairs Mm -hmm. poorly, poorly. Mm -hmm. Terrible, terrible posture when they're sitting in chairs. So everybody in my class gets a mat. Everybody gets a chair. I invite people, you know, I start the class, say, for those of us who are interested and able to make our way down to the mat, please take your time. And always, I, I always emphasize, there's, yoga's not in a hurry. Take your time, make your way onto the mat on the floor. For those of us who need or prefer to stay in the chair, please sit comfortably in the chair, ease yourself into the chair. And I have some props to support their back if they want. I always sit in the chair. Mm, Yeah. Because everybody wants to do what the teacher does. Right, 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 right. Now, it is complicated to teach in two planes of action when you have some sitting on the chair, when some on the floor, but this is what we teach in yoga for seniors. It's complicated but it can be done. So we start warm-ups either in the chair or on the floor. We start with a good five to 10 minutes of breathing and centering and being present, the three-part breath. We do what I call the range of motion sequence where we take all the joints through their full range of motion. We do that as kind of a warm-up and because that is so important for flexibility then we sit in the chairs. Then everybody comes to the chair. If they're not already in the chair, they make their way to the chair. And again, take their time, use the chair as a prop to get up if you need to. And I show people how to get down and up from the chair. We do probably 10 minutes of seated poses in the chair. And I encourage people who are able to do so to sit at the front of the chair with their feet on the floor and keep a tall spine. 
that's challenging. Hmm. I have seen my gentle yoga students' ability to do that, to sit tall at the front of the chair, increase. It's, it's really pretty amazing. You know, I invite listeners right now, if you're sitting, to just freeze for a moment and notice your posture. Are you sitting on your sit bones? Are you sitting on your sacrum? Where's, the, where's your head in relationship to your shoulders? Is it forward of your shoulder girdle? That's where many of us land. Mm-hmm. We're a very forward, rounded culture with our cell phones and every, all of our sensory organs face forward, so we tend to be rounded. So having folks, encouraging folks to sit tall at the front of their chairs while we're moving our arms, we're moving our legs, we're moving our fingers, we're moving our toes. And I really try to get into the feet because many folks in our culture, particularly older adults, their feet are pretty cramped and yeah, suffocated. Yeah, by the shoes. Backwards. Yeah. So free the free the prisoners, spread their toes. I've had students when I, you know, I'd say, keep your heels on the ground, sit tall, spread your toes as far as and they'll look at me like I'm crazy. But toes and yes, toes have muscles in them. Try it. And I have seen people go from little crab feet to being able to spread all their toes Mm. over time. And then, of course, giving people permission if they get tired sitting at the front of the chair, please scoot back, support yourself. So I often say in my classes, you are the boss, I am the guide. So feel free to honor whatever it is that you need to do. And I'm pretty loosey-goosey about letting people do whatever, as long as it's not something that I think is going to hurt them. You know, if they're standing and their knee goes one way and their toes the other way, I will come over and offer a, an adjustment. But in adjustments too, we never move the student's body with our bodies. Mm-hmm. We ask permission before we touch. And then our touch would be to encourage someone to move toward our hand. Mm. Say, or, you know, rounded forward to ask permission to touch, then maybe put the hand just a little bit above their head and say, what would it be like to lengthen the top of your head up towards my hand? So they move, we don't move them. So going back to the sequence of class, sorry, we, we start with the centering and the either sitting or lying down. We all sit in the chairs for a little bit. And then everyone who's able to stands Some people need to sit, or if they're standing and they need to sit, that's fine too. So we do standing poses for 10, 15 minutes, and then those who are able to lie in their belly. And that is the plane of action that I find most challenging in this population that when I offer the option, if you are interested and able to come down onto the mat on your belly, please do so. If that is not comfortable or available to you, please sit in the chair. There's usually 20 to 30% of people who don't lie in their bellies for whatever reasons they don't want to lie in their bellies. And that's fine. That's That's funny. Do you remember like baby, for most babies, it's harder for them to be on their tummy as well. That's interesting. I hadn't made a connection, but you know, people, it it can be often obesity or CPOD, chronic obesity. Okay. Pulmonary disease, mm-hmm. you know, breathing issues or breathing problems. Sometimes it's a pain issue. Sometimes people have ports from chemo. It can yeah. be 
many, many things. But it's always just whatever you want to do is fine. You know, you can sit in the chair or you can lie on your belly. And I typically only do a couple of belly down poses and then people flip and people who are in the chair might want to get on the floor. People like to be on the floor for Shavasana. I will offer a, a story about getting down and up from the floor from my dear mom, hmm. who's been gone now for probably about six years. Hmm. But she took, a, I taught a yoga class. She moved to North Carolina from DC, where we grew up in about 2010, I think it was. And she spent the last years of her life at an independent living facility in North Carolina. And because my mom was there, I offered yoga class there. Now, my mom was a life master at Bridge, brilliant woman. She was a retired math teacher. She was never interested in physical activity. She liked to line dance, but that was the only thing she would <laughs> not very fit. But because I taught the class, she came to yoga. And when we started the class, she said, you know, I'm going to sit in the chair. I gave her the option of the chair. Well, she said, you know, I'm, I can't remember exactly, but she was, she was 87 when she died. So she says, I'm 83 years old. I'm not going to go on the floor. I said, that's fine, mom. You sit in the chair. And she was sitting in the chair. And then another resident of this facility came, marched past her. And this was a woman, Esther was over 90 and had been a former figure skater a Holocaust survivor, she went and she plopped down on the floor. And my mom's <laughs> eyes just bugged open. You know, she is how she couldn't be on the floor. But, and then over the weeks, my mom said, you know, I really would like to do Shavasana on the floor. I don't, I'm not as comfortable in the chair. Could you teach me how to get down and up from the floor? So I did. And by the end of her time there, she was getting down on the floor to start the class oh. and then she'd, the chair, she'd stand, she'd get down on the floor and she'd get down on the floor for Shavasana. And she would put her legs on the chair. She'd do legs on the chair. It was her favorite pose. And a couple of years, maybe the year before she died, she went to visit my uncle in Florida, borrowed his car to go to a bridge game. She told me this story. She had parked the car and she got out of the car. She had severe osteoporosis. She broke a shoulder. She had a lot of uh, height loss. And she was walking out of the car, and she fell. Fortunately, she was on grass. She didn't injure herself, but she was on the floor, and she panicked. And she looked around. She told me there was nobody there. And I thought, well, what would Carol do? Uh -huh. <laughs> Carol would say, Mom, breathe. So she breathed and she said, I do this in yoga class. I know what to do. She rolled to her side. She got onto her hands and knees. She kind of doggy walked to back to the car bumper and she pulled herself up. Oh, that's she went so on her great. Way. So it's a life skill. We are teaching people a very important, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah. We can teach people that they can get up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That that is a really <laughs> sweet story. The whole story. I mean, the fact that she, you know, she had a little bit of peer pressure and that put just just the lit the fire underneath her that she needed to try the floor. And then it really helped her out. That's amazing. That's well, amazing. 
She was an amazing woman. I, I miss her and I'm grateful that I had that time and I was able to share the gifts of yoga with her. That's wonderful that she did it with you. But the last question I was going to ask you is how to encourage someone, and I have in parentheses, like your mom, because I think everyone wants their mom to do yoga. How do you encourage them if they they just won't even try? Yeah, I would start with small doses, just a little bit, you know, just just the breathing. Buy them the book and download the audios. I think what stops many people from approaching yoga is they think they're going to fail. They think they can't do it. I've had people just stick their head into my class and say, you know, I'm I'm not sure I can. Can I do this? And I say, well, you know, you have to be able to do one thing to take my class. And they say, what, sit on the floor, say cross-legged? I say, no, no, you have to be able to breathe. Mm-hmm. So if they feel that they can be successful and they won't get hurt, they feel it's going to be safe. And number one, if it, they enjoy it, if it's fun, that can be the best encouragement. So you might start them with something with something small, just with a breathing practice that they can try to to get to sleep at night mm. or, you know, a practice they can do sitting in a chair. People don't want to fail. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to be embarrassed. So people have a lot of misconceptions about yoga. They think that they have to be able to twist themselves into a pretzel or stand on their heads, just assuring them that yoga is not just about getting into party poses. Yoga is about befriending ourselves. It's about strengthening the mind-body connection, and it will make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You feel better. Yeah. Well, that's good. I would take your class. <laughs> if, I, if I were a super senior. Seriously, I mean, I think that is a really, it is just a smart thing. Well, if you want to take my class, there's just one thing you have to be able to do. Oh, Okay. And and then they know they can do it. That's a, so, yeah. yeah. That's a really welcoming way to uh, get the buy-in. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. and the support, the community support, is also very very therapeutic. You know, older adults we're finding that you know they say sitting is the new smoking. Well, loneliness and isolation is also a huge risk factor for heart disease. And many older adults are very isolated. They're very lonely. So when people come to class, some of my students come a half hour early. First, they want to get a spot. (laughs) I only let 18 people in the class. I teach two back-to-back classes now because I don't want to be responsible for more than 18 bodies. I think for one set of eyes in a a vulnerable population, that's enough. But they come early to chat with each other and to see how they're doing. Mm. And if somebody doesn't show up for class, they they get calls and they go for lunch afterwards. So it's a social time. That's great. And can be particularly that has therapeutic value right there. So relationships, human connection, Sangha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so sweet. It's about much more than just the postures. Of course, the postures can help keep us strong and flexible 
and balanced, you know, and if there's a, you know, they call it a teachable moment. If somebody has a health issue, if they're having, finding that their balance is a little shaky, if they're having any kind of issue, just make sure it's an appropriate, welcoming, safe class. They have fun. They'll come back. Mm, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Carol. I just, I highly encourage anyone who's interested in this population to to get this book. Even if you don't think you're interested in teaching this population, I think it's still helpful to just really get back to the essence of what the practice is about. So, Well, thank you, Andrea. And I, I will remind your listeners that hopefully you will be in this population. Right. So they say we teach what we need to learn. I was, I've not always been 66. And again, I've, my yoga journey has been very interesting and taken many twists and turns. But hopefully we will all be super seniors someday. If, yes, if we should be so lucky. It's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Carol. It's great well, talking to you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening. As I mentioned, I will put a link to the live Zoom class. I think it's Zoom. Anyway, it's a live stream class for seniors that Carol is teaching that anyone can sign up for. I'll put that link on the show notes page. Please send it to anyone you know who might be interested. I just love this idea that this is available to people right now. So you can access that at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 194. And I hope you are all well and staying safe. And I don't know, hopefully we will all be out of this and be able to hug each other soon. Okay, until next week, enjoy your practice.